Hello and welcome to the CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debman. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. You know, there's nothing like when you've had such a busy, busy day. You and me both. I can feel it in the energy at the table right yeah, now. Yeah, when, when you feel the weight, and then when you light the cigar and the weight starts to let off. I had to. I smoked a cigar when I got here because we were both a little later than what we usually get here. Yeah. And it took that entire cigar. I had a million things I should have been doing, but I said, forget it. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to smoke a cigar. Well, and it's funny you mention that because the cigar I'm smoking tonight is a continuation of exactly that. So why don't we just get right into it? So I... I being that we both had very busy days, I actually had about an hour and 45 minute commute to get here today because um, I was working in the main office. And so, which we normally don't record on days when I'm working out, out of town. And so I'm burning back to get her. And I recently bought a bundle of some of my cheapo online ones that I do for since I'm burning that much right. highway. It's just nice to have some $2.50 sticks that I like to. And this was, I usually get the Dominicans from this company, or I usually get the Nicaraguans from this company. This time I bought a Dominican blend and really like it. Um, So at this moment, I've got that salty, savory kind of mouthfeel aftertaste that I just love about a cigar. Right. A little on the sweet side somehow, but just feels like I just ate a steak. And I want to keep that going. And and when I think about what cigar makes my mouth feel that way, it's the La Aurora D- a- ADN all day long. Right. I absolutely love this cigar for a bunch of reasons. Um, chief among them is the way that my mouth tastes and feels after I'm done smoking it. Uh, we've talked a lot on the show before about how Nicaraguan cigars because of the nitrogen where it's soiled, have a tendency to dry out your palate, where Dominican cigars tend to do the opposite. They tend to activate salivation and things like that. Um, so it was one of those things. I walked in the humidor and I went, "That I nope, here's my cigar. Oh, yeah. Well, tonight for me, walking in the humidor, this is one of those nights I wished that I could just throw a dart and whatever cigar it landed on, go ahead and smoke it. But... Um, one, Austin doesn't allow dart throwing in the humidor. Not since. <laughs> uh, not since that one time. <laughs> so The incident. Yeah, the incident. And all, but I, I, the blood cleaned right up. Come on. But I, so he I, still sold them for cost. I don't yeah, know why yeah. he was so butthurt about it. I don't know what was his problem. But I just said, forget it. I'm going to keep it simple. This is my keep it simple cigar. When I gra- want to grab a cigar... That's not going to break the bank. That's always going to taste good. That's always going to feel good. It's going to be a Padron 5000 natural. I like the natural better than the Maduro, which I, but I've been in that mood lately. I've been in that mood where I want the lighter tobaccos lately. It probably has to do with the heat coming up. It could be, you know, I really love the 1000 series from Padron. What does it tell you about the kind of day that I've had that while you were talking about your cigar, I had to look around my computer to remember which one you pulled, even though we just talked about it. Uh, but the the Thousand Series is, is awesome. I, 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 grow, I, go, I don't smoke them nearly as much as I would like, but like you said, they are so consistent. They are so good. For the price, you can't beat it. Yeah, when you need a home run every time, this yeah. is who you call up to bat. Mm-hmm. 
and all. And the, I mean, it's a it's so it's a Nicaraguan puro. The wrapper leaf is a habano, and all in this particular model. But it's a padron. Yeah. I mean, it's just a it's a good padron, and it's such a good price. And I I disagree with you that I actually do prefer the Maduro regardless of time of year, um, but. That's not to say that the natural isn't still phenomenal. It's just that that I still prefer the Maduro in that because you you actually prefer the natural in the anniversary series from them too, don't you? Oh yeah, yeah. Most of, most of the time, I will reach for a natural over the Maduro if I want to get the full complexity of the cigar because the Maduro so often turns into strength that overcomes some of that complexity. I think that has everything to do with the quality of cigar that you're smoking. Because a true Maduro refers to the age put on the leaf. And so if it's done right and it's not been dyed to look Maduro or some other thing that no one would ever possibly do. Right. Nobody could be guilty of that. No. Um, But if it's a real Maduro, you should get less strength and you should actually get more sweetness, more smoothness. But rarely is that the case. True. Um... I would say Padron is one of those that does it really well. The La Aurora, uh, is it the 102 Maduro? 102. And I'll tell you what, the 115 does it that, really well. That's the one I was thinking of. Sorry. Okay. Um, the numbers are too close together, and it's been too long a day. Um, so there are a couple out there. Um, every All of Illusione's Maduros are, are good about that. But then you get into some others that maybe not so much. But I'm not going to call anybody out. Well, let's jump to my favorite article of the week. All righty, let's I was, do it. I was so excited when I seen this from Cigar Aficionado. Official Zippo Butane Lighter inserts are now available. I cannot believe that it took them this long. Right. Why so long? Yeah. Why, why <laughs> so soon? Yeah, why so soon? Yeah. You know, we've been smoking cigars for, you know, almost a thousand years, and... Zippo being the number one selling lighter company in the history of the world, finally decides to, because other companies have been making these forever. Because the big thing with the Zippo is the collectability of the case, not the actual insert itself. Right. That You know, you can't really light a cigar of a Zippo because you get that harsh gas taste. Yeah, it, it gets that very acrid, astringent taste to it. Yeah, so they've always needed a butane. And in my life, I've ordered a couple of different of the off-brand butane inserts. They've never performed. No. At you all. Know, and it's, it's so funny to me because typically when you walk into a cigar shop and you buy a lighter, you can pretty much be assured that the less you spend on that lighter, the longer it's going to work. Sure. And it's just, it's funny that way. I don't oh, know it's, why it's it is. it's the cheap sunglass theory. Yeah. You know, you never break your cheap sunglasses. Exactly. So, you know, I think there's something about it. So, so what you would think the, the off-brand Zippo inserts being usually about 10 to 12 bucks would kind of fall into that category, but they just don't. They just don't. They don't have the, they don't have the jets wrapped. Right. The way the jets are, sub- and, and this is going to be interesting. I can't wait to get one of these inserts. I'm going to get the double flame. Yeah. I can't wait to get one of these inserts and try it out and find out. Because if you'll see, the jets on these is really recessed. See if they have the power to push out the butane and do it right. You know, what's funny to me about this is, you know, the, the classic Zippo design has that sort of machine gun cage, uh, that, that barrel cooling. What is the term for that? Um, 
the 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 out perforation. Yeah, well, but the, but the actual <laughs> no, I know, understand the perforation, but the the actual piece that is perforated right. around like a machine gun barrel is is all I can think it reminds me of. Right, it's a it's a heat sink. Thank you. That's that's what I was looking for. Okay, so, um, it's got the same the same design, but it doesn't actually have any of the the transfer there. It, it's solid. Now with a with a flame of any kind, torch especially, you have to have an air inlet. Right, you've and got to I'm have air coming based in. Based on these photos, I don't see where they're going to get their airflow to really produce flames. So I would be really interested once you once you pick one up to see what it does. Well, and so Zippo tried the Zippo Blue and the Zippo Blue 2, and they never sold because they quit doing what they do well. You know, the the shape of the blues was not the classic Zippo case. It's got a, the the thing that makes a Zippo a Zippo is is the case. Oh, it's the story. It's, oh, this one's a Jack Daniels, and this one's a, you know. Or this one was my great-great-great-grandfather's, because right. they've been making them that long. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the, that's, the, that's the part that makes a Zippo a Zippo. Now, the single flame's going to sell for fourteen ninety five, and the double flame for sixteen ninety five. That's commensurate with what the cheap, you know, the cheap knockoffs sell for. I think the last one of them I bought was like twelve ninety five. So I'd, I'd go an extra four bucks to have a double flame and have it fit my Zippo and be made by Zippo because their their reputation. Sometimes everything you need to know you can find out pretty quick. And yeah. look at the history of Zippo; that's everything you need to know, and you can find it out pretty quick. What there was a Hitchcock film, I want to say it was a Hitchcock film that featured the Zippo prominently, and and Quentin Tarantino in one of his earlier movies, uh, one called Four Rooms. It was actually pretty cool. Had Eli Roth in it, and it um, basically each scene is a different room in this hotel, and the, and and each room is directed by a different director. And so Tarantino's is spoofing. Basically, a guy bets that he can strike his Zippo ten times, and it'll light ten times. Right. And so what he bets is if he can do that, he gets a thousand dollars. He doesn't have $1,000 of his own to put up. So what he says is that if, if it doesn't, chop off my pinky. And so basically the, the payoff for the scene is that he strikes it the first time, doesn't light, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to get a third-party arbiter to, to be the one that does, oh, the, yeah, does so, the actual pinky so, cut. And it, it happens to be the bellboy at the hotel. So they get him to come in, and he's obviously and He just goes, nope, and he walks <laughs> If, if it's depressing, you have to sit and watch it, don't you? <laughs> this isn't, no, this is, I mean, I used to be a huge Tarantino fan. Robert Rodriguez, who um, has done a lot of oh, yeah, very Dust similar Dawn, to, yeah. Planet Terror. So he he did one of the rooms as well. So it's one of those, it's kind of an early Grindhouse style film. Uh, and I was big into that when I was in my 20s. Um, interesting little tidbit, though. Do you know what the most expensive Zippo lighter in the world is? No. I found this fascinating. I looked it up earlier today because I was considering, like, I was trying to figure out, you know, it's got to be some famous, maybe from a movie or something. Like, what do you think it costs? What do you think it sold for? $100,000. See, that's what I thought. $37,000. I was just, my mind was boggled that it was the case that you're buying the iconic name and the two and a half cents worth of steel it takes to make the case. Yeah. And apparently it was from 2007 they released a single uh, 75th anniversary honorific. Right. And it sold for $37,000. Well, I'm excited to see that happening, but 
while we're on aficionado, let's jump over and talk about a new cigar. Former NFL safety Ken Hamlin and La Aurora released The Arrival. So I, I, I'd be curious to get your feedback back on how you feel about this sort of thing because we know Big Poppy has a cigar that Aladino puts out. No. Pichardo. I always get those two confused because we had them on back-to-back right. episodes. See, anyway, Big Poppy has a cigar. <laughs> the, uh, David Ortiz, it's a good cigar. It's very citrusy. Um, I actually smoked mine uh, just last week. I'd been hanging on to it for that long. Um, yeah, very, very good. So and now we've got a couple of other people kind of dabbling into, didn't uh, um, uh, Charles Barkley put out a cigar last year? Oh, yeah. You know, so Ray Lewis. Yeah, so we've got the... The murderer? Yeah, he had a cigar. I didn't know that. So uh, The alleged murderer. I'm sorry, the guy who stood by and watched as someone was murdered by right. his best friend. Allege- allegedly. Yeah. Um, so. All opinions and views expressed by Trey Deadman are strictly those of Trey Deadman and not representative of the cigar cast. You don't believe that Ray Lewis actually killed a man? Okay. That, anyway. So I love the idea that these sports guys are kind of getting into doing, you know, it used to be when we were growing up, you got a shoe. Right. You know, the Jordans, the well, well, LeBrons, and the... It's when still, you grew up, it was shoes. When, me, when I grew up, it was Wheaty Boxes. The, yeah, okay. Um, that's, that's a very good point. So, I, I love the idea that now it's cigars. Yeah, now like, you, know you know you've, you've made, made it. it. Yeah, when you get your own cigar. I love that. But the reason I, I grabbed this article was just... Uh, There's a great joke there somewhere about Bruce Jenner and how he cuts his cigar, but I don't, I, I don't, I don't have it. Uh, <laughs> I would need some prep time to get that one together. So what I really, the reason I pulled this article was because I really love this guy's origin story for cigars, especially when you consider the fact that his name is The Hammer. So immediately I'm thinking, why didn't he reach out to Patron? One would assume. Well, it turns out back in 2007 or somewhere somewhere in the middle of his career, he stopped at a gas station. It had to have been in Miami. Where else could you find a Padron 1964 at a gas station? Right. But he said he walked in, picked up the most expensive cigar they had, which was a Padron 64, and since the first smoke, he just was hooked. Well, if you start with a Padron 64... That's what I'm saying. But I love that this guy just, like, it wasn't his dad or his uncle or a teammate or anything. He just went, no, you know what? I'm at the height of my career. I'm doing well. I want a cigar. I'm going to buy the most expensive one they have. It happens to be one of the best that you can buy. And and now he's, you know, here it is 13 well, years later, and he's starting his own line. But here's the thing. I can understand why he didn't go with Padron, because Padron Wouldn't is done it. as great as they are. They're not innovative. No, I, they, no. And I said that sort of tongue-in-cheek, because Padron would not have been interested in right. doing a co-branded licensing thing. But Padron but especially does when his nickname is The Hammer, though. Oh, yeah. Well, Padron does what they do. They do it very well. They're very consistent, and that that's really what they've made their fortune on, and that's awesome. There's he's, nothing wrong with that. He's like he's like uh, Major Winchester. He does one thing at a time. He does it very well, and then he moves, he moves on. on. Uh, <laughs> so he teamed up with La Aurora's master blender, Manuel Anoa, and they created this cigar. I'm Looking at the recipe, I'm in. Oh, me too. Absolutely. Nicaraguan wrapper over Dominican, Brazilian, and Nicaraguan tobaccos. Comes in a 550 or a 650 or 652. Sell between 10 and $12. It, you can't, that's, that's La Aurora doing what La Aurora does best. 
Well, and La Aurora has been just knocking it out of the park this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, with the Africa, with the 115, they've always been good cigars. This year, they've really took it up a notch. Yeah, absolutely. So, and the price point's right. Uh, I cannot wait to get my hand on one of those. Yeah, we're going to have to we're gonna have to speak with our local rep, Adrian. and get Adrian, if you're listening, and uh, when these come in, the cigar class will be happy to have you sit down and smoke one with us. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. It was El Artista that did the big poppy stick yeah. with David Artista. Sorry. Yeah, and it's, you know. Um, oh, Rocky Patel, Gary Sheffield. I've forgotten about that one. Well, Mike Ditko did one with Camacho. Yeah, that's right. Which was actually one of our friend's favorite cigars. Not a bad cigar. Not my favorite, but it was not bad. I never thought it was worth the money. But that was that was the issue that Davidoff kind of forced their their hand a little too strongly when they first took over Camacho was boosting that price point without much for it. Yeah, that, that's why Camacho's kind of fell off. Yeah, the, the American, I think it was, was also kind of guilty of that being a $20 Camacho. Sorry, not doing it. Yeah, not not happening. And Camacho's kind of, you know, but Davidoff as a company is kind of everything that's wrong with the cigar business. I, I'm not going to go down this road with you tonight. <laughs> I know you are not a big Davidoff fan, and, and I have some issues with, with the way they present their brand, but I think that has more to do with the fact that it's not the type of brand I would want to associate with more than it is their shortcomings. Right. You know, um, it would be, so if if Gurkha called and said, Shane, we want to hire you to be a rep. No, I, thanks. No, I can't yeah. do it. There's no way I can intellectually, honestly try to talk people into smoking Gurkhas. And I'll, if CAO called, I could probably work with them. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, Camacho, I could definitely work with. Drew Estate, I don't think I would fit the culture. I'm not that culture. Well, well, which brings up a really good point. Let's say that you were starting a shop or a brand or some. if you were getting into, into cigars in some capacity, whether it be retail side or otherwise, how do you establish yourself? Who do you go after? What is your branding? What So... Everybody's dream that hangs out in a cigar store as often as you and I do is to own one. Yeah. We all think, hey, one day I'd like to, you know, one day when I retire, I would like to own one. But I would you, like to sink half of my retirement into an endless money pit. Sure, sure. You know, you, how you make a million dollars on a cigar shot, start with two. Exactly. <laughs> so, but there is a lot of money to be made in the cigar business if you know what you're doing. Exactly. So let, let's, let's dig down just a little bit. On that, let's let's save that for the second half. We're moving through the first half. I give you the perfect segue, and you can't deviate from our pre-show plan. Yeah, hey, you made the plan. You laid out the plan. No, you laid out the plan while I was reading an article, not paying attention, and I thought I could just shoehorn this in where the where the the, where the segue fit. It's it's called foreshadowing. When we come back from the break, we're going to do another story or two. When we come back from the break, because you've got my brain set to do this. When we come back from the break, okay, fine. Well, and I don't don't make a plan if you're not going to follow. I didn't make a plan. <laughs> you made a plan, and I just half-hazardly agreed to it. <laughs> so you so didn't even know what I was agreeing so to. So whose fault is that? Well, it's yours. You should have made sure I was paying attention. <laughs> How dare you not perform a Vulcan mind meld as soon as when, I arrive? When, when, when a segue presents itself as gloriously and effortlessly as that one did, and you'll notice I didn't even call attention to it like I did last week. I did notice you that, gotta and be able I did just roll with it. Um, I'm not. I'm not good at that. I'm. I live a regimented. Uh, well, since I clearly life. wasn't paying any attention, which one are we talking about next? And 
<laughs> you're just you're just a barrel of monkeys. Let's talk about the H. Upman Sir Winston cigars. All right. This is from Quill and Pad, keeping watch on time. I, I love that logo. That's a good. That's a good logo. Uh, keeping watch on time. That that seems like an honorable. You know, that seems like something that you would want somebody in charge of. This seems like yeah. <laughs> Interestingly enough. No, I'm, I'll, we can talk about that off the show. It, it's not very good for the podcast. So the first thing this article says, I, whoever this guy is, he does not know how to open an article. It's Ken Gargett. And Ken, buddy, this is not how you open an article. The first si- sentence, Cuban cigars can be frustratingly inconsistent. Cigars from the same box can vary wildly. <laughs> You're not making me want to buy this cigar at this moment, Ken. Why don't you open up a little stronger than that? This is a guy who is not a cigar smoker, has to be. Either that or has just not spent a whole lot of time with cigars of any quality. Yeah, you know, um, he's he's probably smoked more than a couple of car trunk Cubans Mm -hmm. and found them to be somewhat inconsistent. And uh, he's obviously not a cigar expert. Right. In this category, but anyway, okay. We've he was the one guy in this publication that has smoked cigars with enough regularity that they say, give him the cigar story. Right. And uh, so it's, if you purchase a box of Cubans, there's very little chance the same roller is responsible for all the cigars in that box. Keep digging, Ken. Yeah. He just, I mean. First of all, that's not true. That's not true. That's going to happen more often than not. Yeah. And what, do you, what does he think they do? Wash them like they do the cards at a three-card poker table? They just yeah, put them out on a table and roll them all together? And okay, They go want... into one of those industrial drums like you see on how it's made. And they just, <laughs> yeah. gonna that's how they get that like polished bingo. look on the outside. Yeah, they're going to pull them out like bingo balls. <laughs> <laughs> what in the world is going on here? But anyway, he does talk about the H. Upman Habano Cuba. And, uh, and it's a classic cigar. Um, Sir Winston never smoked this cigar. Well, that's fairly obvious. He died. What what year did Winston Churchill die? Oh, I have no idea. How could you not know that off the top of your head? And uh, you 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 call yourself a cigar guy, and you have no. Well, you don't know it either. I was I was relying on you. And uh, he said, first time we had two stunners. Mine was it was the best cigar I have tasted this year, and they rated it ninety nine out of a hundred. And uh, so. He died in 65. There you go. See? Um, the H. Upman Factory, legendary Cuban factory. Uh, after I get done making fun of this guy, I'm not sure what else to say about this article. <laughs> <laughs> and all. But this is, now, this is the Cuban H. Upman. Yes. Uh, this is not the one that um, Altidus produces. I will say, you know, we give him a little bit of a hard time. What, what frightens me about the way he opens this article is the fact that apparently one of the things he does is cigar videos with an industry friend uh, where he talks about, you know, providing a range of drinks to try with a cigar. And, you know, it, I think it's just kind of funny that this is a self-proclaimed cigar guy. Um, but anyway, so I will say about the article is one of the things I do like about this is that it goes into not just the cigar itself, um, but it goes all the way down into the history of H. Upman as a company in Cuba and then talks about the connection to Winston Churchill as well. So it was, uh, and then um, and then it talks about the H. Upman, Sir Winston, a, as it exists um, as a commodity. I just really like the 
the way he goes into the background on this and not just, here's a good cigar, here's the tasting notes. Yeah, he, he did his homework. Yeah. And I, I, I will give him full credit for having the knowledge, if not for organizing it in a coherent fashion. But, so he's talking about the H. Upman, the, Win, the Winston Churchill, the Sir Winston. And I, I've never smoked one of these. I've smoked a bunch of Cubans. I've had a lot of Cohibas. I've had Bolivars. I've had San Cristobal's. I don't think I've ever had an Upman Cuban. Have you ever had I an have, Upman? and it's one of my favorite. So in my life, I've probably smoked a box worth of Cubans of varying whatever. I've had Bejiques. I've had the Boulevard uh, Solomon, which is, in my opinion, the best. Uh, it's more of a Bellicoso, not a Solomon. My second favorite Cuban cigar I've ever had was an H. Upman. And my sister brought it back from uh, St. Martin when she was there in 2007. That, that's how much I appreciate that cigar that I remember. I remember where I was when I smoked it. Yeah, it's appointment smoking. When yeah. you get your hands on a Cuban, even though... So Cuban cigars are not known for their strength. They're known for their construction. They're known for their consistency. There's, they're known for not necessarily even their complexity. Now, I will say this. They are, they're not known for their strength in terms of what you and I consider a full-bodied cigar. However, they're, because of the way their soil is composed, their nicotine content tends to be higher. So they are strong in that regard. So they're not going to be full-bodied. They're not going to be full-flavored. They are going to be full-flavored, but but not in the way you think of it with a Dominican or a Nicaraguan cigar. But they are going to have a higher nicotine content, so you're going to feel it. I don't know when the last time you got a nicotine buzz from a cigar was. For me, it's been ages. But you, you could, if you're not a regular cigar smoker or if you're smoking on an empty stomach, this is one that you could get a little bit of that tobacco nicotine buzz from yeah it, it has there's a lot packed into it the mm. cuban tobacco for all that we say you know i prefer dominican i prefer nicaraguan for all that we say about those particular brands the the cuban tobacco is the hallmark of tobacco it is and and i wish i had either the financial resources or the availability to smoke more Cubans, to develop a palate for that type of tobacco. I think, you know, I have talked many times, especially because anytime you're around novice smokers, the, the topic of Cubans comes up. And I would love to have a bit more refined. My go-to statement is always, I've had lots of Cubans, and there's only two that I would rather have than any cigar I can get in that humidor right now. And that's the H. Upman and the Boulevard. So... I would, I would love to have the opportunity to refine my palate enough to know if that's a true statement or if it's just based on my experience to this point. But don't be that guy in the cigar shop, the guy that only smokes Cubans. Right. That guy is the most anno- He's one of the most annoying personalities in the, in the cigar shop. Well, it, he's, he's one of the most annoying personalities you'll find anywhere because he's the, he's the best or nothing. And I'm sorry... But there's not always... I, I was talking with a guy who's worth millions. He's got a net worth upwards of seven figures just the other day. And he was buying new patio furniture for his house. And he was, try, he was getting my opinion. Do you like this? Do you like that? And I was talking and I said, you know, um, I'm not really a good... I like that one. 
And then he mentioned, you know, the price difference. Something like that. And I was like, well, I can't really talk because all I buy is cheap Chinese crap. I buy my patio furniture at Big Lots because I can't afford to pay what a indoor nice couch pays on patio furniture. Not that I would want to if I could. And he goes, yeah, me too. This is the first time I've ever spent that kind of... And this... This guy has been successful for, for years. Oh, yeah. Well, so so there's, there's some charm and there's some dignity into not being the always the best or nothing. Right. Act like, it's, it's the, Act like you've been there before. Yeah, it's the, yeah. Mar, it's the Marvin Harrison touchdown celebration. He walks in there. He makes the touchdown. He hands the ref the ball. He walks off the field. Yeah. There ain't no dancing. There ain't no... He acts like he's been there. Like, hey, this is my job. Why in the world would I spend more time celebrating? It's the guy that hits the home run, puts his head down, and runs the bases. And right. he doesn't sit there and watch it for 30 feet. Exactly. Act, so the, the moral of the story, act like you've been there before. If you get a Cuban, act like you've been there before. Don't, don't be that guy. But, All right. Well, well we, we are running super long. Yeah. We'll take a break. We'll come back and talk about how to create the perfect cigar shop. All right. We'll be back with that and more after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man who's been dreading this bump joke all week. But the bump joke, the best bump joke of all, is the one that doesn't come. <laughs> you I, couldn't come up with anything. No, I couldn't come up with anything that wasn't super mean just for the sake of being mean. <laughs> I'm, you know, okay, folks. Trey's Trey's ideal of motivation. I'm, I'm gonna. I would like the public's opinion on this. And I'll actually I would like to table this conversation until after the show. I, I, hold on. I screenshotted this. Our public has a right to know, both of them. It's during our darkest moments that we must focus on the light. That's not motivation. <laughs> That's trying to get by. Motivation is, is conquering mountains and what is best in life, Conan. Okay. And <laughs> things of those type. I am going to sit here and take that this week because I have a very good reason and logic behind why I chose the post I did. First of all, that was for a professional page. That wasn't my personal page. There was a, there was a, there was an intent behind that, but so, but I will just sit here and I will take your ire because I I know, I, I know why I chose what I did and that's enough for me. Okay. Well, with quotes like that, you're going to need a second career. So let's talk about if you built yourself a cigar shop, what you would do. So, Still not as good as my segue. <laughs> I'm working it. I'm working it. So I think, okay, first thing you need is a location. Now, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it when I retire. So temperature of the region is going to be a big factor in this decision for me. And I'll, But with a cigar shop, do you try to go somewhere where the temperature is always nice and you have people coming through? do it tiki bar style or something like that or do you want to go somewhere where perhaps the weather is going to be too hot during the summer or too cold during the winter and drive them in to purchase your cigars what do you do so it's interesting you point this out because location is actually going to be my second thing that i figure out well it's going to be the first but i'm going to start a step ahead rather than just thinking okay well what do i want to retire at the beach do i want to retire at the mountains 
I'm going to look up the tobacco indoor smoking laws in every state that may hit that list, and I'm going to whittle it down. Like, for instance, I would love, absolutely love to retire to Colorado. If owning a cigar shop as a retirement hobby career was, was on my list, I'm not going to Colorado. Right. Their smoking laws, their tobacco smoking laws, I should say, are so draconian that it would be really difficult for me to ever make my way or, you know, I would have a much harder road at it. So I'm going to look somewhere else. So the, the first thing in determining my location has, has to do with what type of battle from a legal and legislative perspective I'm going to fight before I get there. There's that. And all, but all of that, that's a, that's, none of that is ever insurmountable obstacle. No, but I think. But so, I can understand you want a, a, if it's your retirement, you know, your retirement dream, you do want a path of less resistance. Yeah. Not least, but less. Yeah. yeah you're never going to get least resistance in the tobacco industry. No. So I think you have to think about when do people smoke cigars? Now, we're the, we're the oddballs because we smoke have. Smoke year round. Yeah, we smoke when we want to smoke. Yeah. And all, but when does the average guy that smokes three cigars a year, when does he smoke a cigar? Well, and so that's and the reason that the legislation and the, the mandates and stuff factor into that to me is because I'm thinking you've got a lot of people that smoke on the golf course only, and then you've got people that smoke as a part of like holiday parties, get togethers, that sort of thing. So if, like you mentioned, where it's so cold in the winter they have to come inside, I've got to make sure I'm in a position where there's an inside for people to come. Maine, for example, you can't smoke inside. I would love, you know, brutal winters, but, you know, Massachusetts the same way most of New England. So um, to me, being accommodating to the the heat of summer and, and the brutal cold of winters is something that you have to take into account. I agree. You need so we, you kind of need to be in this this temperate zone that we're in, or, and I will throw this out, is you also need to figure out what kind of shop you want to be. This is the and I'm going to go out on a limb and say since we're both talking about about it from a retirement perspective, we would want to open the kind of shop where people come to hang out because that would be the fun part for us. If we wanted to make a lot of money, we would do a, a shop that focuses on box sales and, and that sort of thing. So, but I think you have to take that into account. If all you want to do is just move people in and out because you're a grouchy old SOB, then... Right, yeah. If you're, if you're just trying to cash a check, go open one of the corner tobacco joints. Yeah. But, but to, if you want to be part of cigar culture... You've got to look somewhere that's, that's really... Um, I think, for me... West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, East Tennessee, the the mountainous region, because that's where I want to be. So my choice would be South Carolina. That's a good choice. Around Charleston, Hilton Head, Myrtle Beach, wherever the tobacco laws provide the least amount of resistance. Yeah. Because you got golf is a huge business there, which is ties right into cigars. You've got the beach, and the mountains are only an hour away. Right. See, I'm just not much of a beach guy. I would much rather be in the mountains on fishing on a river than I would be at the beach. Yeah. So my actually my my wife and I have discussed this. We would like to open a cigar, cigar bar coffee shop gym. It's an interesting combo. And I well okay, so think about it. You get up in the morning, 
you go to the gym, you have your workout, you do everything that you want to do, you go to the cigar shop, you get a nice cup of coffee. See, I can't drink coffee right after I work out. It gives me too bad a heartburn. Oh, well, normal people would have a nice cup of coffee and a cigar and sit back. I perhaps. also work out very differently than you work well, out. Well, sure, yeah, you're, you're far more intense in your workouts. But, you know, one of my favorite things is my morning routine. Walk the dog, hit the rowing machine, go outside, have a nice smooth cigar, organize my day, think about what I'm going to do that day, what needs to get done. That hour I spend with that cigar translates to four hours more of productivity a day. No, I get that. Just because I I don't show up ready, you know, loaded for bear jumping. Yeah. And there's a lot to be said for that. Plus, the good thing about the cigar bar, cigar bar, coffee shop, gym, is if you, you know, hey, honey, I'm going to the gym, and you go to you the cigar shop. You come back sm- smelling like cigar yeah, smoke. Well, yeah. I can't help it. The locker room's a shared it's, wall. Yeah, it's, it's just right there, honey. There's, no, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, she checks that Find My iPhone yeah. feature, and it says you're at the gym. That's right. And also, you have to do a speakeasy style. so that <laughs> That's right. Give the grill at the door 20 bucks. He'll go lift weights for you. You can come in here and smoke a cigar. <laughs> But give him your Fitbit. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that would be that'd be a great cottage industry. Hey, I'm gonna go over here and have a cup of coffee, smoke a cigar. Here's my Fitbit. You've got one guy on the treadmills. He's got 16 Fitbits on each <laughs> arm, just going just, to town, just chugging along. He's he's making approximately seventy five dollars an hour, <laughs> more than a good attorney, and he's but. So I think the Carolinas region is where I would go because I I wouldn't mind retiring there. I would still get four seasons. You know, a lot of people come back to Tennessee from Florida. They live up north. They move to Florida, and they say, wait, I miss some sort of winter. Right. And uh, and then that's how we end up with them in Tennessee, which is great. Yeah. And uh, now, what's the demographic? What is the ideal demographic? Now, I'm not talking about the demographic of cigar smokers because that's wide and varied. Mm Mm-hmm. What's the demographic of the cigar patron you wish to attract to your lounge slash coffee shop slash bar slash gym? So I want to go. So the shop I used to go to in Smyrna, Georgia, was, in my opinion, very well suited because it's close enough to Atlanta because it's a suburb uh, or, or one of the closer suburbs, rather that you get a lot of young professionals, you get a lot of, you know, people with urban backgrounds, people in there. It's a very diverse crowd. It's uh, people in all stages of life. But it's it's far enough out that you get quite a bit of retirees as well. And there's a couple of colleges nearby as well. So you actually get a little bit of everybody in your shop. And that particular shop is now owned by a retiree, and I have seen it firsthand where he, you know, you've got the old retirees that come in for the lunchtime and they have their coffee and they smoke a cigar and they work a crossword puzzle and they argue about politics. And then the kind of early afternoon working remote crowd kind of filters in and then the night crowd filters in. And, and you see this wave of different age ranges and demographics. And, and I've seen how much energy he was able to get from having a, people with extra energy in the shop. Just because you're a retiree doesn't mean you, that's the only people. Right. You, you don't want, just want a bunch of old dudes sitting around. Yeah, you want some young blood. And so I think being somewhere near a college 
but with a maybe older than average population and higher than average net worth. It needs to be the time. It doesn't need to be a party school, though. Because you don't want to be throwing drunks out every week. No, 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 no. Well, but also, my cigar shop's not going to have alcohol. Okay, see, I, th- I think you have to. Now, it'll have a BYOB, like most shops. But there are... We have become accustomed in Nashville that there's beer on tap at the cigar shop. But most places in the country, that's not the case. Tobacco is explicitly separate from alcohol sales. But they allow BYOB. And so... And so I like that. Uh, you know, let your locker members bring stuff in if they want to, but don't make it a part of your till. Don't make it part of your beer. I, I think you have to have some good beers on tap, some good craft beers, some good stuff that people, you got to listen to your clientele, see what they like to have. You know, they, I bet they sell more good people here than any beer, any oh. other beer. Oh, they do. Far Absolutely. and away. I've seen the receipts. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think you have to have it because there are a lot of people out there that can enjoy a beer. You know, I was, I was sitting no, no, here no, with I'm one not, of those guys. I'm not, I'm not taking a teetotaler's perspective here. That's, that's not where this is coming from. But I'm thinking about the kind of shops that I really enjoy. And if you focus on, and again, trying to extrapolate when I'm 40 years older, you know, the kind of people, the kind of the, the kind of experience I'm going to want to try and cultivate is not going to be one that really brings in that after-hours crowd like we get here from time to time. It's going to be one that more is more based around the cigar experience. But I do I think you do have to be have an affluent demographic because cigars are a more they are a luxury item that has a certain cost associated with that. You know, uh, there's a tinderbox on Poplar Ave in Memphis that actually only opened about 10 years ago, I think. may have been longer than that. Yeah, it was probably about right. So, but that, that's a perfect example of exactly what you're talking about. It is right next to the University of Memphis, which is a big state school, but it's not a party school. Right. It's not known for that. Um, and then, but it's also in the Midtown area of Memphis, which is, unless you're out in Germantown, it's like inside the city limits. That's where the money is. So it's perfectly located. What's your view on having both a public and a private lounge? I've seen it work and I've seen it fail. For me, I'm probably doing all public. I think you can. I think you can generate an interest in membership. Because the dirty little secret about running a retail shop is that those memberships are great because they're guaranteed revenue. Even though you're giving back a lot of that revenue in product at a discount, it it still ends up being a net positive. So you want to have as much locker space available. But there are other ways to incentivize that um, other than having a private lounge. See, I like the private lounge. I like the private lounge because the regulars need a place they can go, not be harassed by the bachelor party, the college crowd, the, you know, the passersby. Now, I don't think you make a giant private lounge that looks like the Taj Mahal and then the public areas, two wooden chairs with a, you know, rickety table in between them. But I like the private lounge. I like the ha- the aspect of having the private lounge. And the, good th- the thing the private lounge gives you, if you don't make money while you're asleep, you're going to have to work all the time you're awake. Yeah. 
So you need you need that private lounge so that you're making money even while you're sleeping, and all because you have memberships, you have people paying for that privilege, and people will pay for that privilege. Serious cigar guys will pay for that privilege with no problem whatsoever. Right, but my point is, there's other ways to generate that passive income without having the private lounge, and then it just becomes more upkeep. And I think. You run the risk, unless you're really good at managing expectations and personalities, of having people take over that sense of ownership in your shop, which we've seen in shops around here quite a bit, where the, the, the regulars become a bit entitled. Yeah, you have to cultivate, you know, I've said it before, the, the cigar room in Madison has the best clientele for that. They all feel ownership of the cigar shop, but none of them feel entitled. And I, and I think the private lounge creates an an added intricacy to creating that environment. I'm not going to say you can't do it if you have a, a private lounge, but I'm saying it makes it that much harder for you to really cultivate that. We see, and for me, the private lounge is located over the gym, just in case your wife has a really good GPS. If it'll she low-jacked like, you. Yeah, it'll look like you're on the treadmill <laughs> there you while you're sitting there having your cigar. Well, and you get a massage chair so that it's so that the thing is actually vibrating the whole time, so it actually looks like you're moving. Well, no, you've got your Fitbit strapped oh, to one, yeah, so you don't have to worry about that at all. But I, I think that's—so I think you go somewhere—you know, everybody talks about opening a cigar shop on the beach. I don't know that that's a workable model unless you—because you're always going to be doing tourist problems. Yeah, and, and the other issue you have with that, in my opinion, is, number one, how do you keep humidity? I mean, it's hard enough here. And when you've got that, that ocean air and that, that, that ocean breeze kind of messing with, with that sort of thing, it, it makes it a little bit tougher. The other thing for me is, is cigar shops, there is a way that you can make a decent living, but the margins are pretty thin. And so when you start putting beach-type, beachfront rent prices sure. in that, you really have to be on, you, know, you have to have your I's dotted, your T's crossed. You're giving yourself a bigger challenge. Well, and that brings me to my next point. I think you have to have viable eating options around. You have to be, you can't be, you know, um, in uh, Mobile, where the cigar shop is in Mobile, Alabama. There's nothing around yeah. there. It's just bleak. Yeah. I mean, and he suffers from that. Yeah. It, well, it's, it, you, yeah, you have to, and this kind of goes back again to the municipal restrictions and things like that. You want people, you do, I think you do want a certain amount of tourism factor. You know, the best thing that happened to Wise Ash Cigars was the new SunTrust Park for the Braves opening two blocks away. Sure. You know, so, yeah, it's not exactly a tourist destination, but he has periods of the year where he's busier because of the people that are just happen to be in the area. And it also happens. There's tons of restaurants, there's tons of entertainment venues, and there's things that make, because like you said, you and I are going to smoke when we want to smoke, but there are other people for whom it's an event, it's an occasion. Right. And so you want to position yourself where you're a part of that occasion. Yeah, you want to, and you know, I love the ideal if you have the money and have the real estate to have a conference room that can be rented out. You know, you got a meeting going, you've got 
and, and the aforementioned bachelor party, whatever. Well, and to me, that's how I solved the problem that you mentioned earlier about the bachelor party, the birthday party, the, the retirement get-together, whatever it is. Rather than having a private lounge, you have an area of your public lounge that you can rent out and block off. I can go with that. I can I can definitely go with that now. Because I'm much, uh, you know, kind of like we've seen with the whole coronavirus thing. You know, someone was telling me this is the first time in the history of the world that we've ever sequestered and quarantined healthy people versus. So right. in, in that regard, rather than creating a safe space for the for the non-problematic people, let's sequester and quarantine the troublemakers, the loud people. I, I can I can understand that. Now, let's get to the real nut and bolt. What is your house blend? Who do you, if you if I said Trey, every cigar maker in the world is lined up to make your house blend. Who makes your house blend? What's the price point? And how do you go about that? All right, those of you listening at home, I want you to pause right now for about thirty seconds and write your answer down. Because anyone who's been listening to this show for any amount of time is going to be able to guess this answer. And I bet you probably can, too. Oh, yeah, too. I know your answer. Do you? Yeah, A.J. Fernandez. Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that goes without saying. So, yeah, it's, it's A.J. all the way and at about 6 bucks. So it's slightly cheaper than the New World. But, but right... So, and in doing so, I know... It's actually right around the MSRP of the New World. So, but... I know it's a price point he can handle. You know, obviously you get a break because you buy in bulk and you get a break because it's unbanded. And so there's some things there, but it's already at a price point where he's making some of his retail cigars. Because the worst thing you want to do is try and make a $6 cigar from a company that only makes $12 cigars. See, I think you go, I, I go a different direction. I go boutique. And all, because I know that Don Pedro and I could sit down and put put together a house blend. That this is the only place in the world you can get this. Yeah. It's not a variation on something else. This is, and ever you know, once every two months, I'm going to have his roller in here rolling them right there in front of everybody. So, the, to me, the problem you have with going that route is, you know, with boutiques, it's a little trickier to bring in a bunch of boutiques because that's really going to be dependent on the palette of your regulars and of your shop. You know, you can try things, but they may not work. You know, we've talked about it before. You can't just bring in what you like to smoke. You have to bring in what your customers like to smoke. And what happens if you get in bed with Don Pedro and all of a sudden no one in your shop likes those cigars? Not and it's not a, an indictment on him. It's just that everyone palates are different. So, if if you are going to go that route, I think you kind of have to do so after a period of time has passed, so that you know you've got a cult following for Don Gonzalez cigars or Crowned Heads or whatever it is. I think you've got you've got to know that you've got people that will jump at that. Whereas I think if you go with a um, and Alec Bradley and A.J. Fernandez, uh, uh, even Esteban Carreras, which works really well over at Smoker's Abbey. Uh, I would call that a boutique, but that's a shop that only carries boutiques. Well, the thing is, if your customers develop a personal relationship with the cigar, then you're going to sell more of that cigar. True. 
And, you know, Pedro sells a ton of cigars out of the Madison shop because Pedro's there four times a year. Right. Shaking hands, talking to the customers, telling them what he's doing, what's going on. Hey, I want you to try this. Give me your... I'm looking at blending these. You know, how many times has he handed me a cigar? Hey, these ain't been released yet. I I need an opinion. Yeah. I need to know what you think. And he knows... I, I actually had the proprietor of a certain establishment, which we're sitting in now, um say to me the other day because i don't care for his house blend well i'm gonna bring in another house blend will you give me your honest opinion i just told you the one you have sucks how could i give you (laughs) what evidence do you have that i would give you anything else yeah (laughs) no i only give you my varnished opinion yeah only i varnish it for you no i I actually i was there with that conversation you did varnish your opinion a little bit (laughs) well i said it was smokable yeah (laughs) You know, I guess if that's as much varnish as I put on it. I'm just saying, you did soften the blow a little bit. Well, you don't have to be mean. I know. You, I know. You, you can be honest, but not necessarily be mean. But I think you have, and that's what you don't get with the big manufacturers. Right. You're not going to get A.J. Fernandez to come sit down in your shop and talk to your, your patrons about the World Cup, you know, four times a year. You may not. Um, you know, I, I will definitely give you that. But I've also seen... Plenty of opportunities where other shops have used main label brands to to generate their their house blends and it and it be successful. Uh, you know, one of the things that Smokers Abbey does really well, I like, is that they actually have two house blends. Right. And I think there's and they're what I what I really appreciate though is that they're both the same, not same flavor profile, but they're same strength profile. It's not like they went the the easy out route and said, "Here's our light, here's our Maduro, here you know, here's our heavy, here's our." No, this is the palette of our shop. It's kind of a medium, medium full, and here's two things that taste different, but still in that same profile. Uh, if you can pull that off, I think that's that's a great way to to generate some activity around that. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of that's something you get with the with the big guys that you don't necessarily get with a boutique guy. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a boutique guy want you to have three or four house plants. You know, he's investing a lot of his, of a larger portion of his portfolio into creating you a house blend. And I, and I will say I've tasted some of Perdomo's house blends and they do a very very good job and in fact, the last one I had, I was talking with somebody um that it's actually a formerly r- regular production cigar that's no longer in production, but now you can get it as a house blend. And I do like that because it was a great cigar. Well, as we, as we kind of wrap up this topic, I will say the most important skill anybody that owns a cigar shop has to cultivate is how to listen to their customers. Yeah, and that's running any business. Yeah, well, it is, but in the cigar industry where palettes are so varied, it's more important. Well, in the cigar industry as a whole, as we talk about seemingly every week, it's a relationship business. And if you don't have a relationship with your customers, regardless of who they are or where you are, you're going to have an uphill battle. Yeah, I think that's definitely definitely the things you have to consider when opening that dream shop. All right, we've got r- time for one more article. Do you want to talk about the diploma the cryptids, Poland or Georgia? Let's talk about the cryptids. I had a feeling. I was hoping you would go for that one. All right. So this is from the Mirror in the UK. Uh, Steve Chalice from Southampton took a picture of what he describes as a big fish while on holiday in Scotland. Seems we have another sighting of Nessie. Yeah, I'm looking at this picture. That's a seal. 
Yeah, it is a seal. <laughs> I mean, well, so what's interesting to me about this, um, and so if you if you look up Loch Ness monster and the mirror, it'll pop up. The first picture is a super zoomed in close up of the actual picture he took. So it looks very much CGI'd from the first picture, but when you back it out and you see the way it kind of blends in with the, because um, you, you scroll down and you can see the the, the regular photo. I can kind of see what he's on about. So rather than talking about this in particular, let's talk about cryptozoology for a moment. So which is is the whole reason I brought you this article, because you strike me as the kind of guy who just absolutely loves cryptids and cryptozoology. Oh, I do. There's an excellent podcast that Public Radio did about Bigfoot. Okay. And uh, I forget, I should have looked up the lady's name. But they did a great um, Grover. I forget his last name. Spent his life. His one of his giant Irish wolfhound skeleton is actually in the Smithsonian. Um, spent his life looking for Bigfoot, and he was looking. He was planning to shoot Bigfoot, and all. He spent nights driving through the Pacific Northwest with a gun, specifically to kill a Bigfoot. And all. And I what like, kind of tag do you need for that? Uh, well, <laughs> it's you know Steve Rinelli puts it best. He says, I think the first person that shoots a Bigfoot should get a medal and the second person should go to jail. I like that. <laughs> I, I completely agree with that. And I'll, so here's my view on cryptozoology. I want to live in a world where I don't know everything. I don't want to yeah. live in a world where I feel like I have already ex- went to the extent of knowledge to which they have. And, and we've talked about this in regards to aliens and other things off the air before. Um, yeah, I, I love the idea of cryptids, the, the chupacabra, the even the silly ones like the jackalope. I just, I, I love the idea that there's something out there that's unexplainable. I do too. I, I want to live in that world. Yeah. I don't want to live in a world where we just say, you know, okay, it is what it is and everything you see is what you get. So what is your, what is your favorite of all the cryptids? 